Thank you for tuning in. As always, I'd like to start with this disclaimer. I don't have all the answers, and you don't have all the answers, but the best way to pursue the truth is through open-minded discourse. And I hope to contribute in part to that today with a quick thought. On the last episode, I talked about the Janus decision, which was recently made by the Supreme Court, and I discussed the context of the case and the decision. What I want to do today is I want to take apart a little bit of Justice Kagan's dissent. Now, I've chosen a few quotes that I think best encapsulate her reasoning for her dissent. I'm trying not to cherry-pick, but I'm also trying not to read the entire thing in my brief time here. So, if you think that I am cherry-picking, and you read the dissent and find more pertinent lines that actually drive the decision better than the ones I've chosen, please let me know. Because I've read the decision, and I've tried to find sort of the crux of her case. Um, And this, to me, seems like the best selection that it has to offer. That being said, I don't think it's a good selection. So, if I'm wrong, please let me know, because I'd love to actually critique the most substantive of her arguments. In her dissent, she says, quote, The majority overthrows a decision entrenched in this nation's law and in its economic life for over 40 years. As a result, it prevents the American people, acting through their state and local officials, from making important choices about workplace governance. The court's majority does so, Kagan continues, by weaponizing the First Amendment in a way that unleashes judges now and in the future to intervene in economic and regulatory policy. Over 20 states have by now enacted statutes authorizing fair share provisions. To be precise, 22 states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, plus another two states for police and firefighter unions. Many of those states have multiple statutory provisions with variations for different categories of public employees. Every one of them will now need to come up with new ways, elaborated in new statutes, to structure relations between government employers and their workers. The majority responds, in a footnote, no less, that this is no proper concern of the court. End quote. Kagan also states in a separate quote, Its decisions will have large-scale consequences. Public employee unions will lose a secure source of financial support. End quote. To me, it seems like the core argument of hers comes down to money being taken away. I don't see a constitution or ethic-based decision here. Note that the way that Kagan's dissent implies that the court must legislate ways for government employers and workers to have their structure strengthened. This isn't the role of the Supreme Court, and it shows her activist nature. The Supreme Court must only interpret laws as being constitutional or not, never justifying ways for them to be compliant or legislate ways in which we fix issues presented by the ruling. She critiques the idea that the majority presents that it's not the concern of the court to fix issues created by striking down this rule as unconstitutional. But that's exactly right. If there are problems that must be solved by further regulation in light of a judicial decision, that's up to the legislature to fix. This is reminiscent of the bad ruling which made the Affordable Care Act constitutional, wherein Justice Roberts justified the penalty from Obamacare as a tax, rather than accepting it as the penalty it was designed to be. This was extrajudicial. 
And this dissent shows Kagan's agreement in following for an extra legislative judicial branch. Again, note that she talks about the decision having large-scale consequences in light of public employee unions losing a secure source of financial support. Last time I checked, not a constitutional issue there. The other line she says is free speech weaponized. And to me, it seems like unions were the weaponized ones, and free speech will always trump bureaucracy no matter what. See, unions were forcing workers to pay into them even if they didn't want to join the union. That, to me, is a weaponized union. In theory, the collective bargaining of workers to an employer is a fine idea, and I'm not against unions inherently, but it seems to me that unions were the weaponized ones in modern days, requiring employees to pay in and then using those funds to speak on their behalf. But the idea that if enough levels of government bureaucrats make rules and regulations so complicated that it erodes an amendment, you should favor the regulations, that's just absurd. The idea that between these years of regulations and bureaucratic designs and the First Amendment, those designs come first? No. The idea that the First Amendment was being weaponized to take down unions assumes that the First Amendment shouldn't be far-reaching. She almost seems to make the case that if the First Amendment is used in a way that she doesn't like, it shouldn't be valid. Again, the Supreme Court's role is to interpret the constitutionality of rulings, and as long as union rules violate the First Amendment, it doesn't matter how it was or was not being weaponized. It's her role to strike down the rule. Of course, she does not. Lastly, she says about the 40 years of precedent. Now sure, the idea of stare decisis, let the decision stand, is a general guiding principle for the court, but not a hard and fast rule. Anyone in their right mind would agree that incorrect decisions should be overturned. And so the idea that just because a precedent has been set before means we can't rectify the mistakes is just weird. This makes me wonder, was part of her dissenting vote on the recent immigration decision informed on the basis that it invalidated the Korematsu decision? This was the decision which justified President FDR's executive order interning Japanese-American citizens. After all, this decision has had a 70-year precedent. All the more reason for Kagan to uphold that ruling, by her own logic. No, arguing that a previous ruling has had a 40-year precedent is not only not an argument, it's completely shallow and irrelevant to constitutionality, but even on its own merit, not very long for a Supreme Court president to be set. With the recent nomination of Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court looks to take a conservative bend for the next while. While he's not perfect by any means, as I feel he utterly fails the test on privacy rights and executive authority, my sincere hope is that his strengths will show themselves when it comes to the First Amendment. Kagan's dissent is rumored to have given Justice Kennedy cause to retire in order that Trump might nominate someone strong on the First Amendment. If Gavana can take a stand against this kind of non-constitutionality, that will give me some cause for relief. Thank you for spending your time on A Quick Thought.